What is up, folks? My guest today is Rushir Parikh, the CEO of PopChu, the brains behind restaurant brands like Wing Season, Snapback Kitchen, and Bitcoin Pizza. And depending on what other creators you follow online, these restaurant brands might sound familiar because Zias, who is a YouTuber with nearly 5 million subscribers. You've got Jack from Snapback Sports with one of the largest Snapchat accounts focused on sports. Then you've got Anthony Pompliano, the investor with almost 2 million Twitter followers. They've all launched brands with PopChu, and food brands nonetheless, and these are represented in over 100 locations nationwide here in the U.S., Rashir has also raised investor capital from names like Packy McCormick, if you're familiar with Not Boring, as well as Jake Paul, and more. Rashir and I got connected on Twitter ourselves, and after hearing what he's building, I've actually had the pleasure of collaborating with PopChu on a lot of these brands and helping them get into brick-and-mortar restaurants via educational videos all about the food, the operations, the recipes, and ultimately becoming a small partner in the business myself. And so I'm incredibly bullish on how PopChu is navigating this kind of virtual restaurant slash cloud kitchen slash participating in the creator economy kind of dynamic. And considering they have the right mix of both tech savvy and restaurant empathy, which I find a lot of these other competitors that they have don't, in this conversation, Rushir breaks down how they're helping restaurant operators make more money. We're also talking about how Gen Z can get more excited about food delivery than they already are, as well as what the future of PopChu might be. Bring. If any of this sounds interesting to you, yes, Rashir does mention that he's hiring during this conversation. And what's great about the Repertoire podcast is that you might own a restaurant or you might have someone in your network that owns a restaurant where additional low lift revenue every single week might be incredibly helpful for your business. And so we've worked really hard to make sure that you can run a Pop Chew brand with as little as two to three hours of prep a week. From your team. So let's talk to Rashir. If at any point you want to check out hiring details, becoming a Pop Chew restaurant partner, links are down low in the description. But regardless, if you just want to see an aspect of food that you may not be familiar with, this is Rashir Parikh. Uh, the, the first place I wanted to start, the initial thing that got me so stoked about Pop Chew when I when we met on Twitter and we started talking was this kind of breaking the and you you've already mentioned it with your your family's background in restaurants, but this breaking the mold kind of thing that you've started because I notice people who have families in in restaurants and correct me if I'm wrong here, but they fall into one of two camps. They'll either abandon or they get the baton passed to them. Right. And for you, it's like, what if we just broke every, everything completely? And it's like, call it the tech startup disruptive thing, but the path you took was so interesting. So maybe to give people a sense of like who you are, what you're building, why you chose this path. Yeah. Start there. Cool. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I think I have always been interested in food. Always like a big eater, loved new restaurants, loved cooking myself. Sort of went the tech route, dropped out of college, joined a handful of startups. But I think there was probably something in me that was always trying to pull me back into food. You know, in the summers of my high school, I used to chop onions in the back of my uncle's kitchen. And I think that was probably a pretty formative like experience. We would go and his his restaurants in, are in Oxford, Mississippi. And snack bar is the main one, but we would do some work at like some of the other ones as well. And so we would just sort of hop around and I would mop the floors at one place, do the dishes at another place, chop onions at the other place. And it was like, it was a cool experience for me just to like sort of be in that environment, be around people that like work in food. 
and sort of gave me like a new respect for for how everything is sort of made in the back. Was there a part of it that you specifically latched onto? The just putting things together, the camaraderie with other people? I think it was the camaraderie. Like I definitely made a lot of friends. And I also think there was definitely an element of hard work, right? Like wake up early in the morning, like have to go. You don't necessarily want to, but you still have to. And then I think while you're, while when you're in there, like everyone's like hustling and like on a mission, right? And like, I think that was one of the cool things about it is like, maybe there's a long-term vision around like, we want to have the best restaurant or whatever. But there's always a mission of the day, which is like, we need to serve X, Y, and Z customers. Here's all the food that we need to prep. So you go in and you like, know what you need to get done. And you just like, go and do it. And everyone else is in there like doing it with you. And everyone sort of like has their own part that they play. So I think that was really cool. I think contrast that to working in sort of like startups and tech, some of the like larger companies that I've worked at, you sort of like know what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, but it doesn't feel everyone's like fully always working on the same thing all together. And I think that's one of the things that popped you, like that we're trying to like, at a younger company, I think you kind of want that element of like, everyone's in this together. We're all pushing for this thing. There's group projects, right? We have a launch that's happening next week and everyone in the company right now is focused on like making that launch a huge success. And that sort of like reminds me back of like the days of working at the restaurant. And you have family meal, right? That's yeah, like- exactly. I mean, that was from the beginning, all hands is sort of a very typical sort of startup thing that you do every week, but we titled it family meal on purpose. And it, it's good. I think it's like a time where everyone can just sort of come around and sit down and talk about sort of what's going on and you think they want to highlight, but also gives like leadership a chance to talk about where we're at and what's coming up next and sort of like, you know, put some sort of plan together. Can you give kind of a snapshot at where Popchu is now and whether whether you're open to sharing numbers or not? Number of locations might be interesting for the listener to hear just because the scale that you guys have been able to hit so quickly. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Popchu, we've grown very rapidly over the last year since we since we launched. We're in over 100 locations today. There are things that we're working on that should like start bringing that number up even more rapidly soon. So we're excited about that. We've managed to like keep the team really small. We're just 10 people, but the company's doing great. And we have some really exciting collaborations that we're working on as well. Can't really talk about yet, <laughs> but yeah. And then next week we're doing a collaboration on an existing menu. So Wing Season, one of our first brands that we launched, it was a, a wing brand with a YouTuber named Zias. We're doing a local sort of New York collaboration on that menu. And we're super excited about that one. It's this like young influencer YouTuber that we're doing the collab with. His content game is crazy. We did a meetup with him probably about a month ago now. And 500 kids wow. showed up to this thing. It was nuts. The cops came and like shut it all down. It was it was wild. And so now we're actually doing it officially. And we, we did a session with him last week in the kitchen, picked his flavor, made a bunch of content. So we're excited to see how that one how that one goes. I'm curious, what do you think people get wrong about this virtual restaurant cloud kitchen space that is for all intents and purposes super new? I didn't come up with it being even a possibility, but like sure. How do you see people looking at this the wrong way or after being in it and launching a company in the space? How how do you see people approaching it wrong? Because for the listener, this might be the first time they're hearing that this is even possible. Yeah. No, I think one of the things that people get wrong in this space is that they sort of see it as a quick way to make money. And while it certainly can be, I think you basically sacrifice your long-term sort of objective of building a sustaining business that's growing and has loyal customers that love the brand. Because what they see is like, oh, like, let me just like, grab an image, make that the brand logo, pull some random menu together and just deploy it across these restaurants. But if you don't actually think about like the strategy or the brand meaning, if you don't actually try to like, make those customers that are ordering on Uber Eats or DoorDash like loyal to you, you sort of aren't really running a, a long-term business. 
because uh, ultimately those customers are still DoorDash's customers. You're just some like, random like brand that they happen to click on. And so I think for us, like what really matters is a lot of focus on building PopChew and making PopChew something that customers love. And that's why we work with a lot of these like, you know, huge like pop culture icons because they have like massively loyal fan bases. And if we can go and sort of like leverage those fan bases to then help them enter into the world of pop shoe and like the experiences that we're building, the customer support, the loyalty programs, then we sort of like created an entirely different type of business model. And you've touched on the creator engagement with the audience piece. A lot of people look at brands like Beast Burger and they're just like, oh, well, he spun it up, so why can't I do it? And then creators, and, and speaking as one myself, who, who kind of prides myself on at least being a little bit organized, a lot of them just like can't seem to figure it out. And sure. so you, you provide that as a service to them. for the Because the, the chefs, the industry people that are listening, it's kind of like, oh, well, cool, they're going to bring the audience. But can you talk a little bit about how, and I, I can chime in too here, but like how involved that development process is with yeah. the creator? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think we're, we're an experienced company through and through, right? And so... If you're a customer that's ordering the food, we want you to have an, you know, an amazing experience. Like a lot of what we talk about is like when you go out to eat, you're not picking a restaurant just based on the food. You're picking on the ambiance. You're going to pick it based on the service that you expect. And that doesn't really exist in, in food delivery. And that's like sort of like what we're trying to bring. But I think that sort of like experience mentality translates over to the creator side as well. When they, you know, come to Pop Chew and they enter the kitchen, we really want it to feel like you're entering like Willy Wonka's like taco factory. And you can sort of make whatever's in your mind like come true. And so, you know, we try to have a bunch of different flavors laid out for them. We have all the raw ingredients. If they want to make any sort of like small changes while they're there, they can do that immediately and they can like taste the changes. So we really try to make it like feel custom to them. Obviously, they're still operating within our sort of like framework, but they have a lot of flexibility sort of in that framework as well. Um, and I think that's something that's like important for creators, right? If, if you're depending on these creators to bring in their audience, like you want it to feel authentic. And for that to happen, it needs to be their vision. And so we try to preserve as much of that as possible while still making sure that the recipes and things that we come up with can actually be like operationalized across restaurants. Super practical. The fact that like Usman here, who's the culinary director, just puts so much emphasis on making sure that like it's not 60 new SKUs going yep, into your restaurant. 100%. Yeah, I think there's a lot of thought. So yeah, Usman's our, our head of culinary. He comes from Speak Green, Chipotle, and sort of just brings a wealth of knowledge around like, one, just having SKUs that can be applied to multiple different types of menus, but also just sort of like what it's a thought process that a line cook is going through and how can we make the menus and the recipes like easy for them to understand. And that goes to, again, when we talk about this being like an experience company, like the line cooks are the ones that are having to actually make this food all the day. And so we, you know, mean to make sure that their experience is also like super solid. We're constantly learning and like listening to the feedback that we get from the restaurants and like iterating on that. Like one of the examples would be, we recently did like Spanish language translation, right? Or like we were making these like giant posters that go up on the walls so that the line cooks can just like literally look up and see, here's the steps I need to take for this menu item. And so we're again, constantly trying to make it better. And the way that you guys have all sought out to have it be i'm calling it like triangle friendly from the start so it's like the audience then the restaurants and then pop two you know the creator maybe is huge because a lot of places will like so over index on like look at how many orders we can get you right but then the the onboarding and the just like making the food itself is just such a shit show yeah that like or or, or the reverse like we'll get you this super buttoned up recipe but then like nobody's ordering you know right. so then that's frustrating right yeah and i think like again sort of going back to like mistakes that people make. I think I've learned a ton from just like working in tech startups. Like what are all the key elements around 
a successful like customer journey and like making sure onboarding is like really good and right and that's onboarding for both the creators the customers and the restaurants and also like i think to like some of my benefit i guess is that like all the companies i worked with in the past have all been marketplaces they all have these sort of like three-sided like problems and one of the observations i made like pretty early on probably like, like the second company i was at the third company was that the problems while they might be different they're all basically the same and you basically approach them all the same way. So it's just like slightly different context, but the way you sort of like think through the, the solution is very similar. Packy McCormick, who's one of your guys' investors, kind of applauded you on your sales ability when you guys had a conversation. And I fell victim to this, this like, oh, I don't want to be a sleazy salesperson. For the listener who also might feel the same because... We, us as chefs kind of like latch onto this romantic idea of being in the kitchen and we will sometimes offload that to the front of house manager is going to do the talking or the server that's going to the table is going to sell the special. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. But when, when, when he was talking about that with you, he basically was applauding their hiring ability. Right. And so what I feel like people don't understand is like the ability to sell percolates across like recruiting people or attracting partnerships or even like getting more customers. Yep. So have you had a framework that's helped you become better at sales or maybe even just call it communication? Interesting. I don't know if I really have a framework. I think I think probably what it comes down to is practice mm-hmm. and just like doing it over and over and over. And I think like, you know, same with like pitching, like same with like interviewing people. When we when we first started, I think we pitched like 100 people. <laughs> and I think out of that, like two people said yes. Yep. Which I think is like pretty decent like success rate for a first time founder and we didn't have anything live. It was literally just a deck. And so I I think like it a lot of it comes from practice. A lot of it comes from like knowing the actual product that you're selling. I think that's like super important. Actually like why like if you are back of house, you should I think still make an effort to like talk to the customers because you'll understand sort of like why are they eating your food? Like and and maybe that like helps you um sort of like think through like wake up in the morning and come to work. But yeah, I think that's like really what it is. It's just like practice. And also this sort of, again, it's like I'm selling pop chew and pop chew is the same, but there's like different contexts. And so I'm talking to investors. I'm talking about it through one lens. If I'm talking to potential employees, it's like through another one. So it's all like kind of the same and just like different ways of talking around the same thing. And it's like conviction idea too, right? Like un- truly understanding what it is and, and me, correct me if I'm wrong, like what's in it for them. You exactly. Know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when, when you talk to investors, a lot of it's around like, here's how big pop can be. Here's why it's important. Here's like why our customers love it. When talking to employees, it's like, hey, like, this is going to be the greatest place that you're going to work. And a lot of it's to do with the people that we have, right? They're going to be awesome people to work with. They're going to help you be motivated. You're going to want to come here and like drive and like have play a significant role. And and when we talk to like our creator partners as well, like similar sort of a conversation around like, hey, like pop is where you can sort of like make your food dreams come true. There's no one else that's like doing it the way that we are. And this is this is the place to do it. And, you know, we even invite them into the office where they can like come and like meet everyone that's going to be working on their brands and everything. So, yeah, again, I think at the end of the day, we're selling pop and it's just like a lot of like different ways of like talking around like the elements of pop Talking about that volume, doing 100 investor pitches or, or talking to your first 500 customers or one on one or whatever. Another thing that the listener might takeaway from this is I feel like people sometimes go into those things of, okay, I'm going to talk to a hundred people and I'm going to give the same presentation a hundred times. Yeah. What benefits me sometimes is like the first 20, you'll sometimes like, you'll share five dot points, but then you'll kind of like listen to like, if someone tells somebody about my brand or my right. company or my execution, what do they talk about? What, what are they sharing? And then that like has to be 
your top couple dot points? Well, for sure. I think like you start evolving, even use like employee interviews and stuff. You sort of start evolving like the pitch. And I think even then, like the company is still like in its infancy. And so just from uh, where we thought we were going to be day one to like where we are now is like complete nine day difference. So the company itself is evolving to the pitch evolves. But also I think just like listening to people and especially listening to customers and seeing sort of how people are ordering or when Zias like talks about it or when Booba you know, talks about the the brand, it's like, what are their fans actually saying about it? Like, how can we go and like evolve to that? Yeah, I think it's like constant evolution and you just have to like always be getting better. One thing that it seems like has percolated and continue to stay with your pitch is this quote that you have, which is food delivery is boring and lonely. Can you, can you expand on that quote? Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually maybe phasing that out. We'll see. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's like sort of like this overall thought that, you know, when you go and order on like Uber Eats, for example, you sort of like scroll through a long list of restaurants, you scroll through a long list of menu items, you place your order and it shows up in a white plastic bag and then you sort of like eat it by yourself. And it is kind of like boring and lonely, right? Like when you, again, going back to like sort of the restaurant example, when you go out to eat, there's an atmosphere. It's like lively. There's other people. You might have like a guest that you're with. There's music playing. It's a whole thing versus like sort of like eating alone in your in your little corner. And so I think like one of the sort of like things that we keyed in on was thinking about like when we were kids, what was like our favorite experience around food? And it was the McDonald's Happy Meal. And it was like the burger, you got the toy. It was like this like box that it came in. And like, that's what you wanted. Your um, toy might've been different from your siblings. Yeah. Like all that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a few companies now that, have, you know, cereal boxes are like famous for this too now, but that's like one of the sort of like key things that we like went in on and sort of what is the young adult? Like if you're anywhere between 15 and, and 28 years old, like what is the version of that McDonald's happy meal for you? And I think ultimately that's like what we're, what we're building. To the, to the modern restaurant owner, to the, the millennial who just took over their boomer parents restaurant the the person in culinary school potentially who is like maybe they are in either gen z or you know uh starting to think about their own idea are there one or two key takeaways that you've learned put in practice and been like more people should be doing this after building this over the past 18 months that you would recommend people to look into and really just kind of like you need to keep in mind this if you're going to be launching a concept because it's so underrated or like the, the the inputs drastically you know your outputs are, are way b- bigger yeah no i mean i think first of all like being on delivery apps i think is like table stakes today got it there's still like a lot of restaurants that aren't but i think it's super important obviously like, there's potentially reasons why you're not right like my uncle's restaurant in mississippi is not on uber Eats or doordash but you know their sort of like reasoning is that it's a, one it's a very small town two the food itself the ty- like type of food that they're making doesn't like travel super well and three like you can come pick it up if you want to and it's like a 5 minute drive i think most like modern cities like if you're operating a restaurant and you're not on uber eats or doordash like that's money left on the table and then i think the next sort of thing to think about is once you're sort of like at that table stake is how do you actually optimize and most restaurants are not even doing this, which is kind of insane. But you have to think about it, right? Like Uber Eats and DoorDash are tech companies. You are operating on their platform. And so you need to sort of like be thinking as if like I am operating on a tech platform and doing things as simple as like changing the photos can have a massive impact on the business. So, you know, definitely be looking at, you know, or thinking through like the lens of a customer that maybe doesn't know your restaurant and is like scrolling through Uber Eats. So think about, what are they thinking of? What are they going to be searching for? What do they want the photos to look like? What 
food looks really appealing and optimize for that. And like, you guys have done that with a brand. You guys have taken all the photos, scrapped them all, done a whole new photo shoot and you see results instantly. Yeah. No, I think, and that's, that's, I think important. Right. And it's like, for us, like we're lucky that, you know, we can go and like have photo shoots all the time and like, we can do all this like sort of experimentation in house. But if I'm, if I'm an independent restaurateur, it's still something I want to like prioritize and, and definitely experiment with, even if it's like at least like once a month or once a quarter. And, you know, I, as an independent restaurateur, probably even have the upside of having customers that come into the store and I can actually ask them like, Hey, like which menu looks better and whatever the physical menu is, maybe I put that one online. Right. And so it's definitely something that I think like people should be like paying more attention to is like how to optimize their online sales. Another piece that I think is so key, not just for pop choose growth, but seeing what's coming down the pike for restaurateurs is Gen Z. Can you share a little bit of dot points and you might have these memorized after doing so many pitches, but talk about Gen Z and their food consumption behavior. Yeah. I think again, a lot of it comes to experience. I think that's like super important. I think there's going to be more competition in the restaurant space, especially there's like obviously lots of like virtual restaurants and ghost kitchens and all these things popping up. And so just cutting it at like having a brand or having a restaurant that's listed on DoorDash isn't enough. Um, there were some stat that I read that was like, like a hundred thousand virtual brands have launched over COVID alone. Um, Jesus. and so like there's an insane amount of competition that's happening. And so you really need to be focusing on what is that end customer experience and how do we make them loyal? Obviously you have to have good food, but like, what else can you be doing? I think another sort of like interesting thing for Gen Z in particular is going to come down to price. That's something that like we were starting to think a little bit more about is you're sort of going to a customer that's ordered at McDonald's or maybe it's like Chipotle, which is, you know, slightly more expensive, a bit more upscale, but it's still all, you know, under 20 bucks. And there's not a lot of that on delivery. Obviously, if you order fast food on delivery, like you can get that. How else can a modern, you know, independent restaurant compete with a burger that's like six ninety nine, and so you just need to think about like how you can maybe start doing some of those things. The reorder numbers and the just they're they're what a lot of people that kind of started their restaurant maybe in the late to late knots in the early twenty tens had to deal with was this idea of like social media is coming online and and there's a bunch of people who are like excited to be posting about their food. Yeah, but the it was kind of a passive consumption thing, whereas Gen Z is all the apps are downloaded. They already have the user behavior where it's like, you don't have to teach someone how to order food. And I think that that's the big wave that like every generation after this will have that already baked in. It's not this thing where you have to convince people. Well, I think the other piece there, right, is like, it's funny. So Uber Eats like launched this like stories feature. Interesting. Where a restaurant could like post a story of the food. Well, I think like it's interesting. I think, you know, obviously it comes from a good place and like Snapchat and Twitter and all these people are doing stories. I think it sort of like misses the point. And I think if I'm a restaurateur, I'm focusing less on like, oh, I need to go and create like an Uber Eats story. And I'm more focused on like, okay, where is the customer at, right? And the customer is on TikTok or on YouTube or whatever. And like, that's where I'm trying to focus. And we've had some friends that have gone and created TikTok videos for just like random restaurants and just like completely blown up that restaurant where that restaurant now every single day is packed because it just like went viral. And so, you know, those are the types of things I think about is like, how can we go and like talk to the audience where they actually are today 
versus trying to bring them to us first. I want all of you folks to crush it at work, but if you're in an environment where you feel like growth is hard to come by, it can be frustrating, especially considering that you're probably sacrificing a lot to be in your current position. Just hoping that someone will teach you the skills required to improve can feel like crossing your fingers and holding your breath, and you waste months or even years with that strategy. To solve this problem, I just relaunched my completely free five-day kitchen productivity challenge, taking content from my full course, Total Station Nomination, and structuring it in a way that gets sent straight to your inbox, again, absolutely free. If you want skills that I've used in high-caliber kitchens to push myself beyond where I thought my limits are, there's a link in the description of this podcast where you can sign up. I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. Let's dive back in. I This feels like such a throwback. I was talking on a clubhouse when the pandemic happened, and it was myself and, and another podcaster and then another chef, and everybody was talking about pandemic and staffing and all the problems that, that chefs are dealing with. And I went on this rant basically talking about additional streams of revenue and so i'm kind of teeing up a question about why it's so important for restaurants to be thinking about this but the place where i got was restaurant people aren't like there's not 15 extra people sitting there in, in the kitchen yeah. not doing anything there's really? not like no nobody's consistently running a 60 percent food cost in their business no one's we we, we are incredibly hardworking and inefficient people and there's this thing, this thing in personal finance which is like you can budget all the way down, but you have to still buy groceries. So you're better off actually thinking about like, how can I increase my income? And so that's what I was trying to make in this clubhouse room argument is it's not about like, we need to cut staff. We need to like, we need to reduce our menu prices. We, we need to cut, cut, cut. Cause it's like, you're probably really close to that asymptote already, yeah. but how can we think about, that's why I got so into media production. Whereas like, there's an additional revenue stream you can have. The classic one is like the cookbook. And then what you're offering independent restaurants is running a pop shoe brand. So can you talk about like why that's so important and maybe even some success stories from restaurant partners that stand out? Yeah, totally. You know, there's always this focus at tech companies, especially around like growth. And I don't think we see a ton of that on independent businesses. I think a lot of businesses sort of like get to a point where it's like self-sustaining, right? It feeds the family, like it's doing its job. And that's kind of like where we sort of like land. But I think there should definitely be a like renewed focus on like growing and, and being like a great restaurant or a company that serves as many customers as possible, right? Like if you have an amazing product, you want to try and get that product in as many people's hands as possible. Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, Pop Chew, the biggest sort of thing that we do is is help restaurants make more money, right? It's very easy to sort of like onboard onto Popchu as a as a restaurant. We help you get trained, you know, we ship you all the um, equipment that you'll need. And then you basically just go online and start receiving orders from our brands within the matter of a couple of weeks. And immediately it's, you know, potentially thousands of dollars in your pocket. There's a restaurant in, in New Jersey where we account for more than half of their sales, right? And so there's another restaurant where they really reopened up another location because of the amount of money that they're making through pop tree right and so it's it's not only something where you know it's a way to make extra money and it's like pocket change but it, it could potentially profoundly impact your business to the point where you're able to go and bring on more stuff to the point where you're able to go and open up more locations and so we definitely encourage everyone that's like sort of interested definitely check us out poptree.com there's a form on the website where you can sort of like reach out to us and we'd love to sort of like chat and tell you more about what we're building and how we could work together you're incredibly opinionated about food and dining experiences if there's a place in new york that's wildly hyped and you go there for the first time what are you looking for in that dining experience just kind of get a sense of how you think about interesting food. yeah so i 
think a lot about sort of one atmosphere two like the food obviously service like all the sort of like the standard benchmarks on the food side what i look for is like maybe this is like a bad thing but if i could make this myself i'm not super satisfied love it especially at like the price points that you pay in new york like if i'm paying 30 dollars for a bowl of pasta that like i could have made not coming back but that's why like on my list of restaurants like there are like i think the top four restaurants out of like my list of like t- top 10 are all italian restaurants and they all make like incredible pasta that like i wouldn't even try to touch because you're not going to get an extruder and like well that and like it, it one it would take me so much time to actually like learn how to do this and it's it's not even just like if i could do it or not it's also like the amount of effort um i'm willing to like put in that effort right and i'm willing to pay restaurants for putting in that effort mm-hmm. in my place yeah so i think like that's like one of the main things i look for and then from there, it's like the overall vibe, I think, is like super important, right? Like there's two restaurants that I talk all the time about that are in New York. One is Sola. It's a pasta bar. In Soho, I first came here probably like five, six years ago. I was doing an interview for like Palantir and just like happened to stop by. Whoa. And it's this like, it's like literally a pasta bar. And so it's just like this like giant, like U-shaped counter. The entire like front is all glass and it opens up in the summer so you can just like walk in off the street into the restaurant and they're like blasting house music and everyone that works there is Italian. Food is amazing. And it's just like, it's an experience, especially sort of like as the sun is setting, like it's just a vibe. So that's one. The other one is uh, this place called Wyan. It's like a French Indonesian place. And one, the music is amazing. It's just like sort of like housey hip hop kind of combination. You can sit at the chef's counter. You can watch them make all the food. Like the food is always amazing. But I think the, you know, cool part about it is like they recognize that you're like a loyal customer and you know they start bringing out like stuff from the house or uh, from the chef. And it's always nice to be, you know, treated like that as a customer, right? Even if it's just like an appetizer or like whatever it is, but to know that like, hey, like this re- restaurant like recognizes me, it's always sort of like a nice like perk or, or feeling to have. You took me there and the, for the listener, I'm hoping that the, this place called YN will be up because I shot a video while we were there. I've just been super behind on editing it. So I'm hoping that this episode and then the video can go live at the same time. Nice. So good, good call out. Are you still hiring? We I are mean, hiring. I'll, I'll, I'll put something in the show notes for folks. Yeah, yeah, we're hiring. You know, you get to go and like collaborate with massive pop culture icons. And it's, I think it's probably one of the fun, best jobs there is. It, um, it'll be linked in the show notes for folks to, to apply. Can't, can't disagree on any of that. It's a Saturday morning, your first day off, and you kind of stumble into the kitchen to make eggs for yourself. How do you make those eggs? Interesting. I actually hate eggs. Oh, no. But if I had to choose sunny side up. Okay. What what would you have for breakfast on like that weekend morning? So I actually don't really eat breakfast. Okay. But yeah, me neither. I, I'm a big fan of orange juice. Mm-hmm. I love orange juice. Yeah. Big fan of biscuits and gravy, like nice. sausage gravy. Yeah. Grew up in the South, so it's kind of, you know, home. Uh, there's a restaurant here called Bubby's that we used to go to all the time, and their biscuits and gravy were phenomenal. Is there a book that's been particularly impactful for you, whether it's on food or culture or leadership or startups? Yeah, we're, I think, big fans of Steve Jobs, the typical sort of, he is a true visionary on like a lot of different levels. Like, and so, so that's like one aspect, anything is possible, right? And I think like that's a super important and awesome mentality to have that like, and this is something like that really rings home true for me is like you can literally do whatever you want in this life and you just sort of have to go out and like go get it and people might say like hey like you can't do that or hey like you're not meant to do this but it's like your life and like you're living it and like if you want it like badly enough like you should go get it and i think he's like one of the people that does that the best book i think the steve jobs book by walter isaacson like had a pretty profound impact i think i i think it's like supposed to be like probably like the truest account at least like 
I think Steve had like a ability to sort of like check the book before it was published. And so big fan of that one sort of just talks through the life of, of Steve Jobs and sort of like, you know, going from Next and Pixar and, and Apple and all these things and how he would deal with product, how he would deal with like iteration, how he would deal with like feedback. I think all that was, was cool to see. Sometimes you just need to see one person give you that head nod. Yeah, you can do this. Yeah. You know, and the, the, the Roger Bannister, I think that was his name, the four minute mile guy, right? Where it's like, nobody broke it. And then like he did it. And then tw- 28 people the next year mm-hmm. got the four minute mile thing. Yeah. I mean, you think, and I think like a lot of like, what we're driving towards at Pop Chew is this like crossover between the like, music, fashion, tech, and food and culture and like all these things. And I think like food at the end of the day is like one of the things that like, unites everyone, just like clothes or just like music. It's like an art in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, I think like, we're, you know, we're sort of like that, at that same center of like food and culture. It encourages you to think bigger because you guys could have just said, well, Pop Chew is just going to be a, you could have positioned it as like an operations company. Yeah. Right. Like it could have just provided back end infrastructure for restaurants totally. to run stuff. But like, totally. as you think bigger, it allows the, the whole pie to grow. Yeah. I mean, the sky's the limit. I think like five years from now, there's a Pop Chew flagship store in every major city in the world. There's, you know, experiences that you can go inside and, you can go and get your own custom menu item at that location. And like you and your friends can go in and order it all the time. There's so much that we can do. And like, we're just starting to like start thinking about those things. Is there a food item or ingredient that is just like you're obsessed with right now? Food item or ingredient? I think um, it, it would probably be parm. Got it. Um, huge, huge Italian fan, obviously. And I think Parm is just like one of those things that is universal. There's probably like five different blocks in my fridge right now. Holy cow. Um, and if you don't have like goat cheese or feta cheese or whatever, like you can always use Parm. Yeah. And it's like great for a sauce. It's great for like putting on top. I just like cut it up and eat it by itself. So like, yeah. And I, I remember like growing up when my uncle and I would cook, he would always just like cut a little piece off and just like hand it to me to just like, you know, chew on what we, what we kept cooking. And so probably the, the most universal thing. Name one thing you've changed your mind on in recent memory. One thing I've changed my mind. Interesting. I think like there is probably a newfound like interest for like exercise and like fitness. Yeah. Um, Which not a lot of founders prioritize. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, so, and this sort of, again, goes back to the mentality around, like, you can sort of, like, do whatever in life. And I think, like, if you think about, like, what being a successful person is, some people have, like, the monetary things, some people have, like, friends or whatever, but I think, like, you need to be able to have, like, a healthy and happy life um, as sort of, like, the foundation for all of that. And so being able to sort of, like, run around outside, especially when you're in, like, your 20s is, like, pretty important so i think yeah just like you found focus on like going to the gym every day and like, i i think it also just sort of like helps with like mental fitness too like it's a nice sort of like break that gives you like clarity and like you know it's the first thing that you do in the morning and it's like okay, here's like what i'm gonna focus on today i find that i stress the small stuff less after i exercise yeah i don't know what the chemicals in your body do but it's kind of like if you just went for a run or you like you just weight lifted or you just did a yoga session it's like the little the little things that would have pissed you off well, it aligns you on like what's important. Uh huh. That too. Um, and, and your sleep's better. You eat better. Right. It's like yeah. Mm-hmm. I not a lot of people I think know enough about fitness <laughs> yet, and it it is like actually like it sucks at first because you're like sore and you don't want to go, but if you can just like go for like literally like, two weeks, then you will actually start enjoying it, and then it's like fun. If you it's like it literally just takes two weeks, 
and then you're fine. Yeah, it's fascinating. The like the little hurdle that prevents so many people from living a potentially better life. Last question for you, and I know you're not a chef, but having family, having partners that are chefs, what do you think chefs can be doing better to help the next generation? I definitely think there's like an interest around like education. I think like food is a lot more, again, like food is a lot more than just like what you eat. It's like experience that you have. And so I think one of the things that chefs can do, which I love, is like learning more about the food. Where did it come from? Where was it sourced? What was the process to make it? Why you made it? Why was it made this way? I think like all that sort of like background and that story is just like super cool. And I think, again, if we're talking about like building like long-term businesses, like if you want to create loyalty with a customer, like one of the best ways to do it is to tell them the story about why this thing exists and get them sort of like involved in that story. Because that's what they're going to share. Yeah. People don't think about that. Like if you don't give people anything to share. Right. Kind of by definition, they're not going to talk about you. Right. No, exactly. Right. If, if, if I'm recommending a place to, to a friend and when I, when I talk about like wine or whatever, I'm not just saying like, oh, you need to go because they're like noodles are so good. I'm like talking about like the restaurant experience was amazing. Right. And if I can go and add to that and talk about like, oh, like these noodles are from like X, Y, and Z city and they like find the fish like every morning from Japan. If I have more ammo for the story it's going to convince that person I'm telling to go there even harder. I have a lot of pride talking about Popchu and seeing what you guys are building. And we, we don't get to see each other that often, but it's just awesome to jam and hang out. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to leave the audience with? Obviously, we're going to have everything linked for folks to follow you on Twitter and then check out Popchu. But sure. any any parting thoughts? Yeah, no, I mean, I think like food has like changed so much over the last like 10 years. And I mean, it's going to continue to. There was just, like interesting like talk I was at last week where they're talking about just like America, there's like big sort of like cultural shift that's happening. And Latin influences are coming into food now more so than ever. Asian influences are coming more so into food than ever. And I think like just sort of like parting thoughts is like food is art in a lot of ways. And one of the best parts about it is that you can be creative. You don't have to do the same thing every single day. And so if you're lucky enough to be at a place or a restaurant where you can have the flexibility to change menus, you should, <laughs> you know, always want to go to somewhere and like be surprised and like try new stuff and like yeah i think like we should we should totally like encourage that sort of behavior that's that's it cool <laughs> i'll end it there thanks man yeah well well here we are together again at the end of another episode of the repertoire podcast if this is your first time listening this is a show for hospitality creators who want to think better increase their performance and believe that it's possible to take lessons from what others have already learned i am your host justin Kana, and if you're new here i'd like to personally welcome you to the show i hope you enjoyed this episode friendly heads up to check out the show notes inside of the description of this podcast if you want to check out previous guests links to specifics that got brought up in this episode as well as other helpful content that we create and share here online because everything we do is focused on helping you along your journey if you don't have a ton of time the best place to start is with some value sent straight to your inbox every single week it's called the repertoire newsletter where we share knowledge on sharpening your skills, asymmetric upside, and exploring the industry beyond the status quo. If you subscribe, we'll keep you up to date on trends that are shaping the hospitality creator ecosystem. We'll share discounts on gear that we find, as well as content that we've been producing ourselves and helpful articles that we've already read and decided are worth your time. Last up, if you want to connect with other industry professionals in the Repertoire Pro community, you want to check out courses like Total Station Domination or download free tools that we've created, you can learn more at Join Repertoire. Com. That's J-O-I-N-R-E-P-E-R-T-O-I-R-E.com. The only ask from me is that if you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate a review of this show on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify to help the podcast universe know that people like us like shows like this. Regardless, I'll see you in the next episode. My name is Justin Kana, and I hope you have a good one.